Well, would you describe yourself as a giver? Uh, for some, if you reflect on your life, uh, maybe the honest answer is no. You tend not to be all that charitable with your time, money, gifts, or abilities. Uh, a person in that situation might have found Andy's message a few weeks ago uh, helpful as he, uh, I wasn't here, but I understand he spoke about serving in the body of Christ. And that might be quite relevant and helpful for you. But for others, maybe the honest answer is yes. You think about your own life, and perhaps you, know, you are the kind of person who could be described as a giver. You do give your time, money, gifts, and abilities. Whatever it is, to serve others, whether in the church or outside the church, uh, to certain people or to certain or particular causes. Uh, and if, if we picture that kind of situation and that person where someone who's giving of themselves in the context of our passage today, that uh, is quite relevant and pertinent. Not, uh, our passage today, as, uh, according to Jesus' words, is not so much asking if you are giving to others, but the why behind our giving. Where Jesus examines our motivation. What motivates us from the heart? In our study on Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, we now adjust our focus. In chapter 5, Jesus was addressing there the law of God, or more precisely the Pharisees' teaching concerning the law of God. Where Jesus not only corrects and rebukes the false teaching, but he provides his own authoritative interpretation, true interpretation of God's law applying it quite uncomfortably to the human soul, driving us to himself as our only hope of salvation. But now as we head into chapter 6, we shift gears. Jesus is still targeting the religious leaders of his day. He's still being countercultural. But now the focus is not so much on the false teaching of these religious leaders but more so now focusing on their actions, how they lived, especially the good actions that they were doing. This issue of motivation continues right through to verse, up until verse 18, where Jesus tackles some key good deeds that these upright Jews would do. First, they're giving to the poor. Second, considering prayer that we'll consider in future weeks. And thirdly, fasting. And so today we want to focus on what he says here in that first example, that of giving, almsgiving, giving to others, particularly to the poor. And the particular manner, heart attitude that Jesus calls us to as well when we seek to do good deeds. And so in our passage, Jesus highlights for us two key motivations that is behind our giving and our good deeds. And so Jesus is going to warn against one and call us to pursue the second. And so let's consider these two motivations. And firstly, we see Jesus warn us to guard against the first one. What is that? Giving in order to receive the praise of others. 
And what Jesus teaches us here is that the kind of motivation, this kind of motivation, won't receive God's favour. Jesus in verse 1 introduces this whole principle of doing good in order to impress others and receive their praises. Beware, he says. Pay attention. Take note. Like a bright flashing neon sign in front of you. Beware, Jesus says, of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. There's the principle. Watch out if you're seeking to practice your good deeds to impress others. He then goes on to apply that to giving. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. The idea of hypocrite here is that of an actor, uh, someone who their words are spoken to get a reaction for effect uh, from the audience rather than trying to convey truth. In other words, Jesus here is saying the Pharisees were kind of putting on a show, pretending to be filled with God's righteousness in their heart, when in fact their actions were self-centered. Now, our culture today still recognizes the imagery that Jesus uses here of the trumpet. You know, we use that in language today, don't we? You know, we think of someone who is blow their own trumpet, toot your own horn, blow your own whistle. These are all phrases that are alive and well in our Aussie culture. And as we consider our culture today, uh, there's actually something I'd say that our culture today loves about Jesus' words here, at least on the surface level. Uh, I'd say that we would resonate with it. We have here among us what is known in Australia as the tall poppy syndrome, where our culture instinctively uh, (laughs) seeks to... Uh, bring down those who seek to puff themselves up. Those, uh, they're not looked fondly upon who uh, boast about their own good deeds or righteous acts. We're not really into people who tend to brag. And so firstly, Jesus does warn us of this overt bragging about giving in the context of giving. Not that it is bad to give in the first place and be charitable. We should be generous people nor that it is necessarily bad that people might find out. I mean, for if we are a generous person, sooner or later, that will probably become known. But it's the motivation that Jesus is especially concerned with here, coupled with that overt boasting in our giving. And I'm sure we can all spot that kind of overt boastful act a mile off. I'm sure we can all think of a philanthropist. I can't say it. <laughs> philanthropist. Let's go with that. Uh, a, a business or a person who, uh, in a very overt way, is clearly motivated, uh, seeking the approval of others in what they're doing. Uh, maybe we know ourselves to have been that person before. But if we actually dig down a little bit below the surface. This sin is much more prevalent than one might first think or imagine. 
Like when someone is praised for something good that they've done, but actively tries to deflect away from themselves onto other people, but the core reason that they're doing that is still to impress others. Let me see if I can explain what I mean. Uh, maybe uh, you see this sometimes uh, in, in sports and whatnot. You've got the star player of a team sport who, you know, the interviewers want to come up and interview them after the game that they've won. And they're interviewing saying, oh, how good, you know, you kicked the winning goal or this or that. And how does the player respond in whatever sport it is? They say, well, look, at the end of the day, it's all about the team and not any one individual. Now, that's not wrong. It's a great thing to say in and of itself. But how easy for us to say things like that for the very purpose of trying to impress others with how humble we appear. Have you, has anyone else done that before? In other words, the net effect is exactly the same. If we do this, we're still primarily motivated for the interests of others, motivated to look good, to impress others with our humility, wanting others to accept and admire you. I, I hope you can see what I'm getting at. We can go a step further. We can do what Jesus says, uh, I haven't read those verses yet, but in verse 3, and be entirely secretive in our giving. Maybe we think, ah, we won't tell anyone of this good deed. No one will see it except me. Then I will prove to myself that I'm a good person. And yet such a heart attitude is still committing the same sin, still trying to impress even it simply means trying to impress yourself. I wonder if you've ever noticed this tendency within yourself. Have you ever picked up on this? As you walked in these doors this morning, who are you trying to impress in your life? Your family, your friends, work colleagues. Every person who resides within the four walls of a church building ought not kid themselves. We ought to guard our hearts of the same motivation, seeking the approval of man. And we ought to seek to deal with this when we recognize it reeling its ugly head within us. We are called to examine our hearts and our motives before the Lord today. It's not like such an approach to life uh, doesn't result in some sort of reward, according to Jesus. In fact, according to Jesus, this kind of attitude of, of impressing others does actually result in some sort of reward. What is it? Well, he said in verse 2, Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. What is it? Well, that they get the praise of others. In other words, they get what they want. They get that impression from other people, that they are pleasing in other people's eyes. But such an approach to life can be so exhausting, constantly wearisome, difficult to continue holding up, becomes tiring to try and keep putting on a front. Sooner or later, the facade can weigh you down. And the tragedy is that if you actually think about it, deep down, such a heart motivation is showing that there, you have a heart that is still hungry. Such a person can give and give and give all the time to other people and yet still never feel good enough in the eyes of others. 
low self-esteem can abound. Some people can get into a spiral in this where they never ever feel like they quite measure up. I wonder if you've experienced that before. So over against this uh, motivation that Jesus warns us against of trying to give and do good things in a way that impresses other people, Jesus calls his people to a different kind of motivation. Here, as it pertains to giving, but in a broad sense, in all the good that we do. What is that? Well, it is giving, uh, seeking to give in order to please God and receive his praises. To live life with God first and foremost before you. To p- pursue a pure motivation and devotion to God. By doing this, Jesus teaches us to essentially practice godly self-forgetfulness and enjoy the freedom that self-forgetfulness brings. In verse 3 to 4, it says here, But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Instead of boasting about our giving, Jesus calls his disciples to discreetness. Don't be like those loud Pharisees. Don't uh, be like those who blow their own trumpet, parading around showing off their good deeds in a boastful manner. Don't even let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Uh, On a surface level, there appears to be a contradiction, some say, of what Jesus has said here in this verse compared to what he just said in chapter 5, verse 16. Now, I'll just read that verse for, to bring it to mind. It says, In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So is there a contradiction? On the one hand, he's saying, show your good deeds before others. And then here he's saying, don't. But when you consider the main thrust of each passage, there is no contradiction. Jesus is dealing with the two entirely uh, heart conditions and issues in these passages. Back in chapter 5, verse 16, he's dealing there with a different error in the Christian life, one that we explored a number of weeks ago. That was the error of shying away from sharing your faith, of retreating from the culture rather than showing courage in engaging with those around you. But now in chapter 6, Jesus is dealing with that issue of motivation what's happening in our heart as we live that our lives for god who are we seeking to try and impress not allowing your left hand know what your right hand is doing does seem quite humorous when you think about it how is that even possible and unless you're the type of person who's absent-minded who tends to leave your car keys on benches and forget where you put your keys Is that just me? What is Jesus getting at here? Well, he's urging us to learn self-forgetfulness. The answer then is not as some might suppose. There's the issue of trying to live a life always to impress others. It's not to think less of yourself, but rather to think of yourself less. Do you get the difference? 
Perhaps you recognize this sin of seeking to impress others. The temptation then is to turn this into self-loathing, to wallow in your spiritual condition. But Jesus is saying something else here. He's saying the Christian ought to be, live life that is so consumed with God and his opinion and his thoughts that they forget altogether about self. They are done with being consumed with seeking to impress others or wanting affirmation. God is their primary focus. What else happens fades out into the background. All they're to be concerned with is God's opinion and a zeal to honour him with all of their lives. In this way, the Christian is called to live life in such a way that they're always acknowledging the presence of God, living life in the presence of God. God is always before such a person in their thinking and their whole approach to life, recognizing that there is a God above who sees all that is unseen by human eyes. Likewise, there is a reward for those who live life in such a way, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. What is this reward of that Jesus speaks of here? Do we somehow earn a reward for living life like this? At first, this can be puzzling. Uh, as a church, a core belief that we have is that we are saved by grace alone, as I said earlier, not by the works that we do. Justification by faith. Nothing we do as Christians or as people, we can never earn our right to enjoy God and his kingdom and his salvation. So how does that doctrine fit in with what Jesus is teaching here? Well, there is no cause for alarm. All this teaches is that God mercifully responds to our obedience to him as we live a Christian life that is fueled by his grace. When we live a life that puts God first and as we grow in that, and we begin to experience the spiritual contentment, the peace, and the in life from God that flows from it. All these things are gifts from him. As I read in that Belgic confession, yet we do not wish to deny that God rewards our good works, but it is by his grace that he crowns his gifts. We don't earn God's rewards when we do good. God is a gracious God and a loving God who loves to give good gifts to his children. Furthermore, some argue that it's uh, you know, selfish to want to have some sort of reward from God. By seeking a reward from God for putting him first, is that somehow still being selfish? The reasoning in this kind of thinking is that we should just live the Christian life for the sake of it, of it by itself. But there is nothing wrong with wanting what is right and fitting when we properly acknowledge God's place in our lives. There is no contradiction in the phrase in the Westminster Shorter Catechism when it talks about the chief end of man, when it says that our chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forgiven, uh, forever. These things go hand in hand. It is a good thing for us to enjoy God and his many benefits, to, to, to know them and enjoy them. 
If God is truly our creator, he has made us to be fundamentally dependent upon him. We are finite people. We are, by our very nature, in need of his life and his goodness. Perhaps you could picture a baby bird that's in a nest, that's crying out to be fed by its mother. Likewise, there is nothing wrong for us to come to God as his children, yearning for him to fill us with his contentment, his peace, his presence. If he is our good heavenly Father who is in heaven, why not come to him to fill you up and satisfy your needy soul? Why not seek to please him with all of your life, to be so consumed with his goodness and grace that we forget about ourselves, that we forget about what others think and no longer get consumed with seeking to impress them and to enjoy all the spiritual blessings that flow from a life lived like this. But the question is how? How as Christians can we learn to live life like this, to grow in this? While we learn, we need to learn to have hearts uh, that is consumed uh, through, uh, we do this by uh, remembering the cross of Christ. In other words, we must first receive before we can give. For it was on the cross that Jesus declared to the world that all who have faith in Jesus are made acceptable to God that Jesus, the Son of God, gave of himself to die for us so that all who, may, who believe in Jesus might be saved. It was on the cross there that Jesus died to take away our sins, not because we were impressive enough to be saved. No, according to Scripture, all are sinners. All have blackened hearts that are rebellious by nature, totally unacceptable in God's eyes. The only reward fitting is that of judgment. That would be the just reward. But the good news of the gospel is that in Christ, every Christian has a great high priest, a saviour who took that sin upon himself and died in our place so that we might be counted worthy in God's eyes that we could even stand in the presence of God and not fear. When you truly get the glory of the cross, its beauty for the needy sinner, you can't help but be consumed by God's love and respond in a devotion, devotion life to him. Who are you trying to impress? Are you consumed with what others think of you? Look to Christ and know that he has made you acceptable in God's eyes. And it is only God's eyes that ultimately matter. And Jesus brings us into the very presence of God. For us to know in the first place that we are accepted by God, we must truly know Christ, having turned to him ourselves. We must in faith and repentance, truly in our heart of hearts, put our lot in with him to recognize that our sin makes us unworthy before a holy God. 
walking that road of repentance is confronting business for the soul. Who wants in their right, not right mind to recognize the great need that they have? That they need to be washed clean from head to toe of their sins. But oh, the sweet delight that comes to the soul that walks that road, that encounters the love of God through Jesus. Churchgoers, that your experience? Is Christ yours? And you his? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, as we consider our passage today and what you teach us, it is a deeply convicting thing. Knowing that not only do we struggle so much to do good things, to live uh, according to your word, but then even as we do those good things, off, so often and so easily it is for us to have a mixed motive, to go, do good things to impress others so that we may receive the praises of people. Father, may we grapple truly with this this morning. Holy Spirit, would you uh, reveal ways that we continue to grow in this? Help us to be a people that is so consumed with God, with you, Lord, that all else doesn't matter. And Father, as we consider the glory of the cross, how on the cross you bore that wrath of, the wrath of God, so that we uh, might be saved. Father, may our hearts be thankful to that, for that today. Father, may we live this life ever uh, acknowledging that we are living life in the presence of God, that wherever we are, you see us, and that you are with us, and that nothing is hidden from your sight. Father, I pray that as we examine our own hearts today, that we would experience afresh your great gift of grace, that we don't need to prove ourselves good enough for you. We simply need to look to Christ and know that in him we are acceptable, uh, made acceptable in your eyes. Father, we thank you for the freedom that that brings, that we can have a peace from you, a peace that is not from this world. I pray as we head out into our week, Lord, that, uh, and we seek to live devoted lives to you, I pray that you would gift us this week uh, with all that we need to do that faithfully, to live lives wholesomely devoted to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.